0: Well, good evening. It's good to see you all. (laughs) Praise God. Uh, Let us uh, begin in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this evening that you have most graciously granted. We thank you for this day that you have most graciously granted. The word says that this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So we're glad in the day, Father God, that you created for us. I thank you, Father God, for allowing me to come before your people to give them what you've given to me. Let my mouth be that of a ready writer. And Father God, let all that I say and do come from the very throne room of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Amen. I don't know that I'm going to be as quick as Mr. Keith, but... (laughs) We'll see. You know, that's all I can. That's all I can tell you is that we're going to see tonight. And tonight, this teaching has come through many iterations. To be honest with you, um, it comes from watching television most of the time. And it starts out with, "Did you know that one in every five Americans live with some type of mental health condition?" One out of four people are unemployed or one man in nine will be diagnosed with prostate cancer during his lifetime. One in 10 Americans surveyed say they deleted their Facebook account over privacy concerns. One in five people have a disability in the US. Eight out of every 10 Americans will experience a back problem. And I know we've all heard these types of, if, these type of statistics, right? You're sitting home, you're just chilling, relaxing, and then all of a sudden, here it comes. Eight out of ten Americans experience a back problem. Ooh. <laughs> Am I one of those eight? You know, one out of every three Americans are going to catch the flu. <coughs> yeah. Oops. What? Was that me? Am I in there? So I ask myself, why in the world do we believers even entertain these types of thoughts when we don't have any idea who the infamous they are? They say, you know, we have no idea who they are. We don't know what they do. We don't know what alphabet they have behind their name. But boy, will we say, they mean me. I know I'm going to be that one. My coworker over there is sniffling and carrying on. I know I'm next. I know I'm next. Get out the Lysol and the Clorox wipes and you're trying to kill everybody in the house spraying stuff and and everything all because this coworker over there sneezed. Or they said, "Oh, I got the flu." How what? Who, what? You sneeze. Could it be dust? In my house? Yeah. You know, you'll get the sneezing in my house just for dust alone. But we always give these things credence, and they get into us the idea and it gets into us and it stays there. It gets into our heart and it grows and it starts to take over. And so this led me to Proverbs 23, verse 7, where it says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And and I was like, okay, so as we think what's in our heart, so are we. So all of a sudden, in our hearts, we'll get, I'm going to get the flu. Or my back hurts, I've got spinal dis da 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 I need an MRI cause my back hurts. Oh my Lord, I'm going to have spinal surgery cause my back hurts. You know, and we, we start this. I remember once, um, hearing that, you know, if you have a kidney problem, your back will hurt. So my back, <laughs> my back was hurting one day. I was like, Oh Lord, my kidney has failed. What? And the Internet is the absolute worst. Doctors will probably try to ban medical stuff on the Internet. Because the minute anybody says anything or anything, we we go to looking. What does kidney failure feel like? What are the symptoms of something? And then this laundry list comes up, and then we've got them all. <laughs> we got them all. My thing today is I'm not the one. And I want each of you to say to yourselves when all of this happens, I'm not the one. You're not the one in six. You're not the one in five. That could be somebody else. But it's not you because you are a child of the king. The thoughts of a person are the best evidence of a man's spiritual state. Thinketh in the Hebrew is a verb that is only found in this verse and probably means as he is all along in his heart, so he is at last in act. What that boils down to is what you have in your heart will produce actions. Like I said, you have in your heart, I'm going to get the flu. So then you spray everybody in your house. When they come in the door. Because, you know, when they come in from school, we swear them kids are little germers. I have a friend who just calls them little germers. They germ carriers. So your kid comes in and you start spraying them down with Lysol in their face, you know. Then you washing everything that they touch, you know. Because that's what you have in your heart. It's flu season. So it's flu season. So in my heart, that means I have to disinfect my entire family. You know, so you know it, it's it's my back hurts, so I run off to my primary care physician and go, I got kidney failure. Give me a MRI, do some blood work. You know, so that's what we're that's what our actions are producing. What's in our heart? That's what the word thinketh means in this respect. It says that the, that what you think is the best evidence of man's spiritual state. They are the combination. Thoughts are the combination, comparison, and rearranging of the actual contents of the mind. You've got it in your mind, and all of a sudden, your mind rearranges them. Rearranges them usually into something worse. And I remember something that Pastor said a long time ago when we asked, why do bad things seem to come about more easily in our lives. And he says that's because there's no resistance to it. You know, we never come against it. You know, we're we're praying and moaning and groaning about the good things that God has promised. Oh, Lord, please. Oh, help me, Jesus. You know, but the bad things, we go, oh, mm, okay. You know, because I don't know why. Like I said, the infamous they say that is going to happen. So of course it must be that way. Words and actions are not necessarily an indication of the thoughts of the heart. Okay. And what that means is that you can say things and act differently. Cause they even talk about when I was researching this, they even talked about Christians. You know, we as Christians say things. And then we act differently. You know, we say we believe. And then, like I said, we spray our kids. You know, we, You. I'm not saying don't be cautious, careful, whatever. But, I mean, your kid sneezes and you blow them away with Lysol? Come on. You know, so the actions are saying a lot more than what our words are saying. So then I said, well, From where do these thoughts come, Lord? Where are we getting them? And we can get them a number of different places. The first place I said was ourselves, what we see. So I went to Numbers 13, and it says, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I'm in the right place. Okay. <laughs> send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names: from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, I think the son of Zakar from the tribe of Simeon. We'll let that go. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephthah. We can tell you that one. From the tribe of Ishgar, Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Rapha. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gedadiel, the son of Sadi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Emil, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethar, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Nephthali, Nabi, the son of Vat. Ba- now name your son this, right? From the tribe of Gad, Gad, Guel, the son of Micah. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests, there are not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. And I'm going to skip that and I'm going to go down to verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. All right, so they get the the call to go spy out the land. They go up, they get some, they go, this is all great. Now keep in mind, your thoughts, we're talking about what we see. All right, so the 10 spies, they go, and they see this land. And sure enough, it's as it's been described, all right? But then we get to verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel bad report of the land, which they had spied out. So now we've got a new thought based on what we see. And the new thought that we have based on what we see is there we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So based on what they saw, which is that they were grasshoppers in their own sight compared to the people that were in the land, This is the thought they bring back. So we have a tendency, based on what we see, to build a thought. It could be based on what you see in the mirror every day. You look in the mirror and say to yourself, you know, I'm not too fond of that person that I'm looking at in the mirror right now. That person's hair is gray, in my case, Mm -hmm. you know, That person's hair is gray, you know, dimples aren't as deep as they used to be, you know. I'm not too fond of that person. So based on that, I'm not too fond of that person, what I see, then I could think that you don't think too much of me either. You've never said that. But I go, well, I'm not too fond of me. Maybe Vanessa's not too fond of me. Maybe pastor's not too fond of me because I'm not feeling me right now either. So based on what we see sometimes, we get a thought, and that thought dictates our actions. They've dictated the actions of the spies to tell the people, we can't do this. We are not the one. Even though God has said to them, you are the one, I have said that you are the one. I have shown you that you're the one. But the thoughts of the people are saying, oh, I'm not the one. It's another group somewhere, someplace else. Amen. What we say in Exodus 4:10, then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What we say, what we say puts a thought in and all of a sudden we build on it. Moses has convinced himself that he is slow of speech. He's not eloquent. How many times are you saying, I can't do that? I always tell my kids in Sunday school when they said, "Miss Ethel, I can't do that. Stop saying that. Stop saying that. If the Lord says you can do that, you can do that. And the Lord has said you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Now, granted, you can't go around and knock somebody down and and kick them and pull the chair out from from them and hurt themselves. No, you can't be doing that. But you can do this. You can pass the test. You can be the only freshman drummer on the drum line. You can, in fact, be the star in that play that you want to do. You can be that because the word of God says you can. What we have or have not done. Sometimes we take ourselves out of the race because of what we have done or what we haven't done. How many of us have said, oh, I haven't prayed enough, so I can't get that blessing. You know, or I can't serve in that spot in the church. Even though you're being called to serve there. Everything in you is fluttering, saying, yes, yes, yes. That is what I've called you to do. But you say, but I don't play, pray enough. I'm not a teacher, you know. I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't sing On the worship team. I don't play an instrument. But everything in you is dancing up and down saying you need to be a part of the ministry somewhere in the church. So what we have or have not done. And in Genesis 32-10 it says, I'm not worthy Of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. This is where we're talking about the twins here. This is where he says, I'm not worthy, Lord. And we all know that he was just something. He was a little bit of something, you know, going on and things like that. And he says, I'm not worthy. But the Lord had a plan for him that he needed him to go back. He needed him to do something. In Luke fifteen eleven through 21, and I'm going to have to turn there with you, or I can read it off the screen. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood." And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, we're going to stop right there. What you have or have not done. (laughs) He goes to his father in all boldness and says, I want my half now. And amazingly, the father goes, okie (laughs) doke, and says, here you go. Then he goes off and just does whatever he thinks he's big enough, bad enough, and bold enough to do. Amen? Verse, and then, but when he had spent all there, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy I'm no longer worthy because what I have done or have not done to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and fell, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Again, no longer worthy because what he had done. How many times do our thoughts keep us from the father because we don't feel worthy to go? I had a fight with my husband. I had an argument with my child or whatever. And now I don't feel worthy of the blessings of the father because of something I had done or, you know, or the Lord said to you, I need you to do this. And you don't do it. You know, now you're like, Lord, are you ever going to talk to me again? And I'm going to give you my umbrella story. My kids know this story very, very well because I reference it a lot because I learned a lot. And I gave it as a testimony, but I'm not sure I gave everything. One Friday, I was leaving the house, and the spirit deep inside said to me, go to the car and get your umbrella. And I looked and went, why do I have to go to the car and get an umbrella? I got two umbrellas in the umbrella stand. I was like, I don't understand. I got Two umbrellas here. Why do I have to go to the car and get the umbrella? But the spirit was very clear. Go to the car and get the umbrella from the car. I was like, I'm just going to take this one. So I go into the umbrella stand and I take the umbrella and I, I head out. Now I wasn't driving that day. I was getting a ride with a coworker, but I had to pass my car to get to my coworker. I pass my car and I keep walking. I almost don't even look at it. I just keep walking. I had plans that evening to go to the movies with a friend. She picked me up in her car. As we're driving to the movies, it starts to rain. It rained, I kid you not, all afternoon and all evening. And there were times when it rained really hard. Still no thought to my car at all. Eight o'clock, the lady that I rent my parking space from calls me and says, Ethel, I just received a call from someone. Your roof is open. Now, I bought the car in July. This is September. I went, thank you. I go out to the car, and sure enough, the sunroof is open about half wet and has been open since I parked it Thursday night. Okay? All right, I go. So I've got water on the seats. I'm like, oh, not too bad. I put my hand down, and there was so much water it came over my fingers when I pressed down on the carpeting. Yeah, yeah. I could only put but so much on the praise report. So I put my hand down, and there's water. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then comes back to me, go to the car and get the umbrella from the car. Had I gone to the car, when God told me to go to the car, I'd have known that the roof was open, and I would have closed the roof. So (laughs) what we have or have not done. So based on that, I'm going, God's never going to talk to me again because you're not listening. I told you, I said, Lord, it was almost like the Lord said, and don't come to me with, Lord, why didn't you? Because you know, that's what we do. Lord, he's like, "Mm -mm. no, 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 because I told you. I told you. So when I was like cleaning it all up, I said, Lord, what's your, how do I clean it up? That he can help me answer. You know, I called Daryl. Uh, Daryl told me to get a wet vac. I go out, I buy a wet vac. Um, someone else recommended that I buy those little things that absorb moisture. I forget what they're called. Dry something. (laughs) Who? No. These, these little pellets, you put them in and it, it, it draws water to them. So I buy the, Les, on the other hand, says, you're going to have to take up all that carpeting. I was like, I ain't trying to hear him at all. (laughs) Brother Les, though, you're going to have to replace all that carpeting in that brand new car. I was like, you know what, Lord, I'm not trying to hear that. Help me find a better way because this car is two months old and I am not trying to replace all the carpeting in it. I'm just not. So, like I said, based on that, I was just like, okay, Lord, I know I didn't listen then, but please, please, I will listen. So no matter how strange it sounds now, I'm all in. Take your coat. None of that, Lord, it's sunny outside. It's 80 degrees, nothing. If it says take your coat, take your coat, you know? But it's like I said, the things we have or have not done sometimes will keep will get our thoughts in there that like I said the Lord is never going to talk to me again. He's never going to trust me again with a word. He's never going to 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 help me again because I failed over here. So sometimes what we have or have not done like I said will keep will get thoughts in there and those thoughts will cause us to act a certain way, that we're not going to listen anymore. Thoughts come from others, what they see. And in 1 Samuel 16, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, Daryl. I'm just going to jump to verse 7. This is where uh Samuel is instructed to go and anoint David. And, you know, they parade all these great sons in front of Samuel. But when you come to 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what others can see can get thoughts into us. What they see. Because, you know, they're going to tell you what they saw, whether you want to know or not. You know, so sometimes what they see, even though what they see is not true, but they think, oh, I saw this happening, so it's it, it, that must mean it. Like, for instance, um, I was listening to someone, and they were talking about two people were having lunch together, and they knew that both these people were married to somebody else. So based on the fact that these two people were out having lunch with somebody else, they went, oh, my gosh, those people are cheating on their spouses. So what people see. When, in fact, it was a lunch with um, they had to get together because the wife was planning a party for her husband. So she got a friend of his involved in the situation to help surprise him. You know, so, that you know, they're at lunch, they got their heads together, you know, and all this other stuff, and somebody saw them, it's like, oh my God, you know, they're having an affair, how do I tell my friend what they saw, got a thought in that was totally wrong, but yet and still, you know, you get ready cause a fight in somebody's house, because you don't know what's happening. So we need to be talking, so we need to understand that we shouldn't be looking on the outside. You know, God told Samuel, no, none of these are who I want to be the next king over my people. What they say in Genesis thirty-seven, three and 5, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all the others, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So, (laughs) you know, when I read this and it said they could not speak peaceably to him, you know they were talking real bad about him. So they were saying all kinds of things. Instead of mama's boy, daddy's boy or papa's boy or whatever, you snitch, you tattletale, look at you running around in your coat of many colors. We don't like you. So what people are saying could get thoughts, you know, so that could have gotten Joseph into a thought of going, man, you know, I, I, you know, my brothers really, really hate me. So now I'm going to not be the person that God's called me to be. You know, I'm not going to tell my father that they've been doing the wrong thing. I'm not going to follow after what God... And just imagine if Joseph had allowed the thoughts of his brothers to get into his heart, what would have happened? What would have happened when we needed somebody in Egypt during the famine to help save them? What would have happened if Joseph had... A, allowed the thoughts of others to dictate his actions. He did not. You know, he says, now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. You know, they were giving this boy a hard time. How many of you have younger siblings that you have just tortured? Okay, it's just me. Okay. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. I can stand on my own. You just tortured them. Because they're younger. Sometimes they don't do anything. You didn't raise your hand over there. I can't believe that. I wish I had a camera. You should have had your hand up before mine. (laughs) That you just torture them. You just torture them. And if you torture them bad enough, you could be hurting them to the tune of that all of a sudden it changes who they are. But most of the time they just go, they know that you're torturing them because you're the older sibling and it's all cool and for for me and and my younger sibling you know it was sort of like he still was like he thought he was mother's favorite but i disabused him of that so but anyway what they say so what people say can in fact have these thoughts about who you are and get into your heart and then impact your actions Um, The one thing that I always remember hearing, you know how people sometimes will tell their children, you're stupid. Mm -hmm. I absolutely despise that statement. And, you know, or people will say, this is a stupid question. There are no stupid questions. You know, they're just questions. Maybe a little obvious, maybe not, but there's no stupid questions. I hate it when people call children stupid. And if you say it long enough, And loud enough, then they grow up thinking that they're stupid. They really will. I'm stupid. I've been told I was stupid all my life. I can't do that. And it's not true. Again, from others' thoughts dictating actions. What they do, what others do. In Genesis 37, 20, it says... Come therefore let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. Now, if you're Joseph, you know, you know your brothers dislike you for a lot of reasons. But now they have gone to the extreme so you figure out they really dislike you. You they really dislike you because they've now thrown you into a pit and say, Maybe we should just kill this boy. Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. How are you going to throw him in a pit without laying a hand on him? Come on. Reuben, this isn't any better. You know? But Reuben think, All right, we doing all right. But still in all, with all of this happening, as we know with the story of Joseph, Joseph stayed true. He didn't allow the thoughts and actions of others against him to change who he was and what he was, uh, what the plan of God was for him to do. So I'm going to, um, it says, let's see, where are we? 22. 22. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into the pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Now they've thrown him in the pit and now they're having a feast. (laughs) They are having a meal. I'm like, oh my goodness. And that's why I say you read these things and you read, you know, you're kind of working on something different and you see so many other things. Then they lifted their eyes and looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh. On their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him. (laughs) You know, now we want to make money. We done had a meal. We got a new idea. We're going to make some cash and let not our hand be upon him. What? Let not our hand be upon him. This is all you. This is all you. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listen. Then the Midianite travelers passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So the thoughts of others and these actions against Joseph Could have changed Joseph so much because I may have come up out of the pit going, please, guys, okay, let's make a deal here. But Joseph doesn't, evidently. he They take him out of this pit and he goes politely with these people. Not me, uh-uh, because I'm getting away and I'm running. And as Philip would say, Daddy, do you know what they try to do? You need to take them in hand. But no, he goes on down to Egypt. He becomes chief slave, chief prisoner, you know, in in everything. And none of that could have been easy. But again, he didn't allow the thoughts of others to dictate who he was. Joseph is like, I'm not the one. So after I go, okay, so we've got the thoughts of others, my thoughts, my own thoughts. How about the thoughts of God? How about we stick with that? This is the hard part, I think, for us. Because, I mean, God says some wonderful things about us. He has these great Promises in his word. But sometimes stuff happens and all of a sudden it's the thoughts of others and my own thoughts that supersede his thoughts. We need to get to the point where God's thoughts supersedes everything. Let's look at what he sees in Matthew 13, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. God sees you and I as a beautiful pearl. I love pearls. I love beads. You'll see me wear them a lot because I just love them so. God says, and you know, Pastor always says in the parables, when Jesus gives it to you, he made it up. He could have said anything, but he said this. He calls you a pearl of great price that he saw in the earth. Now, he didn't see you in your saved state. And still, he calls you a pearl of great price. You ain't saved. You ain't cleaned up. You ain't got the blood of Jesus on you. Nothing. When he first sees you. When he first saw us. And still he says it's a pearl of great price that I want. And I am going to buy it. I'm going to sell everything that I have. He sent his only begotten son who died and shed his blood to purchase that pearl of great price in the earth. That's what he sees. That's what we need to see. When your back hurts, what you need to see is that Jesus died and by his stripes I'm healed. That's what we need to see. That's also what we need to say, but we really need to see it. We need to see and say, ah, I'm that pearl of great price that he sold everything he had so that I might live, and then what he says, what he says, in Psalm 17, 8, it says, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me under the shadow of your wings, and you know, when when I used to hear that before I dug into this a little bit, apple of the eye, you know, I think of an apple, well, The apple of the eye is also known as the ball of the eye. It is an idiom meaning what is dearest to us and that which must have extreme care and protection. That's what he means when he says that you're the apple of his eye. That you are to be protected and cared for. You are the thing dearest to him. So when stuff happens and they say one in so many people going to lose their job, I'm not the one because I am dearest and nearest to him. How God keeps all you believers nearest and dearest to him, I don't know. I don't know. But the word of God says you are dearest and nearest. And it also says that you must have extreme care and protection. He cares for you. He is your protector. He will protect you. Amen? Amen? Amen. It says it in the word. So that's what we need to say as well. What he does in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He gives us a future and a hope. That's what he does. Amen. He looks and he goes, you know, okay, they're going to be in this space. I think somebody talked about this on Sunday. They're going to be in this space in two days time. I am going to put everything they need in that space to give them a future and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. But that's what he does to so gives us a future and a hope. Genesis five, one says, This is the book of genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created us in his own image. That's what he does. He goes, I'm gonna create them in our image, he says. So, you know, when people go, you know, I'm I'm to the to the place now where people talk about, you know, you're not very attractive. Talk to the big man. I'm good. You know, and all this racism and stuff like that. Talk to the big man because he created me in his image. If you are talking about the color of my skin, then you must be talking about something with God because I am created in his image. All right. So as pastor would say, that's management. Talk to management. So, you know, when people start calling names about whatever, I go, you need to talk to management. Because I'm created in the image of my God. That's what he said. So, deal with that. What he does, and he creates us in his image. That he is mindful of us. Psalms 8, 4 says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? He visits And he's mindful of you. Hello, I'm good, I'm good. That's what he does. So instead of the infamous, they said, you're the one. How about we say, God said, you're the one. Created in his image, he's mindful of you, he visits with you. He comes to talk with you. He he comes, you know, I'm just like, whoa. The almighty God who created heaven and earth comes and has a little talk with me. You know, like they say, have a little talk with Jesus. Well, he comes and he has a little talk with me and tells me to get the umbrella. (laughs) Granted, you know, it's like good advice from a friend. You don't take it. But this is God. You really should take his (laughs) advice. Because he knows your roof is open. And that is going to rain. It wasn't raining when I left home. It was raining. I'm like, gee. But anyway, he comes and he visits. He has a little talk with you to protect you because he cares about you. He cared about my car. (laughs) He cared about my car. But yet and still, you know, I go, is he going to talk to me again? Yeah. So think about it, that he is mindful of you and he visits. He blesses us. It says in Psalms one fifteen twelve, 12, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He blesses us. That's what he does. So instead of, you know, because them other people don't bless you. They are not in the blessing business. They, well, you know, am I wrong? Are they trying to bless you? No, he blesses you. So how about we believe what he says? How about we think what he thinks about us, amen? Because he blesses us. Finally, what I want to say here is when you think about these things, the one in four, the one in nine, the one in ten, the one in five, the eight out of every ten. Are you the one that will be diagnosed with an illness or by unemployment or suffer with some type of mental health condition? Or will you be the one that is loved, blessed, protected by the one who knew all about you because Jeremiah one five says that, that he knew all about you well before anybody else knew anything about you. He knew all about you and who is the great I am. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for how you see us, what you say about us what you do for us each and every day. Let that be what we meditate on, Father, what we focus on when things come our way and not lose sight of the fact that we are the apple of your eye, that we that you have extreme care and protection for us and we are nearest and dearest to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.